last three days working on these notes for the sermon, and, and I got about eight pages full of notes. And as I sat in my office praying, I felt this overwhelming sense of brokenness come over me. And in that moment, I knew I was not going to get to preach the message I spent the last three days preparing. But church, God has a message for you tonight. It won't be long. But I ask right now, open your hearts to hear what God is going to say to you. In the past few months, we have heard Pastor Powell talking about how that we, we are not just experiencing a, a new season, a temporary new thing, but this is a shift in what God is doing here at the Church of Omaha and here in the state of Nebraska. In the past several months, we have seen miracles take place. In individual homes, we've heard stories of children receiving the Holy Ghost in their home. Not here in the church where there's all the hype, but at home, a heart that's hungry for God. In my own family, I've seen financial blessings I didn't know was coming. I've seen miraculous things happen. And on and on, we could go around this room and list all the things that God has been doing. Sickness is being healed. There truly has been a shift in the atmosphere. And to quote Pastor Powell, welcome to the new normal. But... Before we can fully see what God is going to do in 2022, we must address the elephant in the room. There is a spirit of brokenness in this sanctuary. In this past year, we have seen loved ones who won't get to experience the new year with us. We have a country teetering on financial collapse. We have prayers that have not yet been answered. We have depression overtaking some of our families. No doubt there have been days that you have felt unqualified to say that you are an ambassador for Christ. Can I be honest with you for a moment? There are times that I feel like a fraud standing behind this pulpit. There are days, you can be seated, there are days I go home and I feel, God, if they only knew the struggles I have in my own mind. The times that I feel hurt and depressed, the times I feel alone, would they hear me the same way? There are times that I feel unqualified. God, if they only knew how broken I feel. But as I sat in my office, praying and praying and weeping before God, there were two verses that kept flashing in my mind. The first verse is found in Isaiah chapter 66, verses 1 and 2. And it sim simply says this. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and tremble at my word. God is saying through the prophet Isaiah, what is it that you can offer the Lord that he does not already own? What is it that you can build before God that he has not already owned? There is no amount of money you can lay at the altar that is going to impress God. There is no construct or no building that reaches the heavens that you could build that's going to impress God. The one thing that God wants 
is your brokenness. And they that be of a contrite spirit. The second verse passage that kept flashing through my mind is found in Psalms chapter 51, starting in verse 1. Understand that this psalm was written shortly after David had fallen into sin with Bathsheba. We often think of the psalms and we think of hymns. We think of songs of praise and adoration. But actually that makes up a very small percentage of the psalms. Much of the psalms is lamenting that David has of his own shortcomings or of how the enemy keeps coming against him, how he feels overwhelmed or even unworthy. This is what we find here in Psalms chapter 51. It says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. Going down to verse 15. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou will not deny. As I read these verses, I was trying to, to rationalize and rectify this in my mind, especially in the context of what David is saying here, because the Old Testament is full of offerings, of animal offerings, of burnt incense offering, and those kind of things that we see, in fact, God calling the people to offer, to bring these offerings. So was David saying that that was wrong, that they should have never gave offerings to God? No, that's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is that if those offerings... Or not first lay with an offering of a broken spirit and a contrite heart. It means nothing. You can, Old Testament speaking here, they could have sacrificed all the animals in the world. But we see time and again that their hearts were not actually turned toward God. In fact, in my notes, one of the things that I was going to bring out tonight, let me, let me go there. You see... Throughout the, throughout the Bible, there is a theme, there is a message that is repeated time and time again. There is something that God has been looking for. And what is that thing? Well, we can look to Psalms chapter 150, verses 1 through 6, which says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in the firmament of His power. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the psaltery and harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with the stringed instruments and organs. Praise Him upon the loud-sounding cymbals. Praise Him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. God wants your praise. But is that the theme? Is that the main heart uh, that God is looking for? No, because in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, Jesus turns around and says this, The people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Well, surely Samuel knew what, what it was. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, he says, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 sums up the whole vision of wisdom in this way. Chapter 12 verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. 
Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring everything, or shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So is this it? Is this the conclusion of what, what it is that God has been calling us to this whole time? Is it the underlying of all of our walk with God just simply obedience to the law? All you have to do is read any of the countless interactions between Jesus and the Pharisees to know that this can't be the case. Because verse after verse reveals how that the Jews kept the law, but they had no relationship with the lawgiver. They made rituals and customs and traditions out of the law. And they cast out those who would not follow the very uh, jot and tittle of the law. But when the law incarnate was standing before them, they did not recognize him because their obedience came from tradition and not from a heart of relationship. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33 tells us what it is. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. You see, the Jewish people had praise, but no true worship. They had obedience, but no fear of the God they were supposed to be serving. But worst of all, they had a covenant with no relationship. They were certainly individuals who did have relationship, but unfortunately they were in the minority when you look throughout biblical history. The Old Testament is chock full of miracles. God parted the Red Seas. He caused plagues to rain down in Egypt. He rained manna from heaven. He caused a rock to produce water. He raised Elisha from the dead, and on and on I could go. The people had become intimately familiar with the power of God. But somewhere along the way, they stopped seeking a relationship with God. Church, never let this said, be said of TCO. Never let this be said of you as an individual. We are intimately familiar with God's presence as he often sweeps through this building during our times of worship. We as a church can testify to the many times that God has performed miracles right before our very eyes. We can testify of how God has healed our bodies, how God has delivered individuals from addictions and hurts and habits. But we must never forget to look beyond the miracles, beyond the goosebumps, beyond the financial blessings. We must always first seek an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. We must seek a relationship with God before anything else. A title without relationship is empty. You can be called pastor over the bus ministry. You can be called the grand pastor over the whole state. But if you have no relationship with God, the words are meaningless. Titles is not what God seeks. God will not honor you extra in heaven because you held a title or a position or a role. God will only say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, to those whom he knew in a relationship. The Bible tells us that there will be those who stand before God 
who say, God, didn't I cast out devils in your name? Didn't I perform miracles and do this and that? And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Why does he say that? Because I never knew you. Tapping into the power of God only is not enough. It is not the sole aim of our lives as Christians. We must first seek to have relationship. Singing and playing instruments are great. I read earlier, God calls us to do that. God uses music to touch our hearts. But singing and playing without a relationship is just entertainment. Singing and playing must be done from a relationship that the, the musician and the singer first develops on their own with God. That those words that pr pr proceed out of their mouth is not to entertain your ears, but is to worship the King of glory. The notes that I play on my saxophone, no matter how fast, how beautiful they sound, if they are not directed toward God first, they're just entertainment. It's just entertainment. This is why when the Jewish leaders asked what was the greatest commandment, how did he respond? He said, answering, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. It was about relationship. He wasn't discounting obedience. He wasn't discounting worship. He wasn't discounting sacrifice. But he's saying all of those must first stem from a relationship that you have with Christ. In Luke chapter 9, verse 18 it says, and he came to pass as he was alone praying. His disciples were with him, and he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? A little context here. Jesus had just fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. The multitude continued to follow Jesus because they had seen the many miracles that Jesus has done. They were seeking after the power that this man was displaying. But Jesus wanted to get to the heart of the matter. So he asked his disciples, who, who do men say that I am? A little spoiler, he already knew. Verse 19, then answering said John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others say uh, that, old, uh, that one of the old prophets has risen again. He said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, the Christ of God. Now we, we will re read this verse and our temptation is this, Peter has it, he understands it, he gets it. He knows who Jesus really is. But we're going to see here in just a minute that he doesn't quite fully understand it yet. In verse 23, and he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Now I try to, I try to put myself in the position of the disciples. To me, it's the way my brain works. I try to visualize it, to try to understand maybe what they were thinking so that I can get it. And I can imagine when the disciples heard this saying, whosoever will, lose, will save his life will lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall be saved. I imagine they had to be slightly confused. What exactly is Jesus asking of them? Is he asking them to commit suicide? Is he asking them to to go and get martyred? Is, what is he asking them? But the answer can be found in the very next verse. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself? 
or be cast away. Jesus was telling the Jews, and he is telling us tonight, that to be a follower of Christ means that his mission must supersede our own. It means that every decision you make in your life must be done through the lens of God's word. I've often heard people say that it doesn't matter where I work, what job I take, what state I decide to move in. That's work. I have church over here, and I have work over here. That is a mindset that does not understand what this passage is telling us. Because God is saying that if you seek to save your own life, to provide for yourself through earthly means at the expense of the ministry that God is calling you to, what good is it going to do you? What good is it going to do you if you become the CEO of the company, the most powerful man uh, in America, because you have the most money, but you have yet to hear the voice of God for your life? What have you actually gained? Jesus is telling the disciples, don't be like the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who only seek after a title, who only seek after influence, to be in a position where others have to come to them. Instead, lay down your flesh. Lay down your earthly desires. And look to me first for all things. But I don't want you to think for one moment that God is saying that, that you can't be blessed and God doesn't love you and God doesn't want you to have blessings because that is not the case. In verse 28 it says, And it came to pass about in eight days after the sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain and prayed. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistening. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were very heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. So I'm, I'm imagining now, these men have heard the Jewish stories. They have heard the Jewish customs. They have heard the scriptures of old being read to them. Moses was someone of an incredible importance to the Jewish religion, to the Jewish custom. He was their first deliverer in that he brought them out of Egypt. So in many ways, unfortunately, they began to deify Moses. Same with the prophet Isaiah. They, they, they put Isaiah so highly up on a pedestal that they would read his word more than almost any other word. Here they see the prophet Elijah and Moses standing beside Jesus. And listen to what Peter says. Remember, this was the same Peter who just said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Listen to what Peter says after seeing this. And it came to pass, we're in verse 33, And it came to pass as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias, not knowing what he had said. You see, sadly, this revealed that even that Peter, that had recognized Christ as the anointed one, still had yet to fully comprehend that Jesus was not just a prophet, not just an anointed one, but was literally God robed in the flesh. So God speaks directly to him. Verse 34, while he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close and told no man in those, uh, uh, any, in those days any of those things which they had seen. 
Now, it is easy for us to look at this situation and say, how could they not recognize Jesus for who he was? How could they try to put Moses and Elijah on the same level as Jesus? How can they want to offer to build tabernacles to make them equal with Jesus? But before you become too critical of Peter, let me ask you a couple questions. Have you ever withheld your tithes because you weren't sure if you would have enough money to pay your bills? What you were saying was that it was the money that was providing for your needs and not Jesus. Have you ever been given a promise from God but then doubted because a doctor said it couldn't happen? What you were saying is that the doctor and God are on the same level. Have you ever held a grudge against a brother or sister in Christ saying that they deserve what they get because of how they acted, because of how they treated you? What you were saying is that you are on the same level of God as God because God forgave them the moment they repented, but you were saying that they don't deserve God's forgiveness. Church, what I'm trying to get at is that laying down your life for Christ simply means putting him in all things, in all situations, first. He must come first in all that you do. Verse 46, then there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be the greatest? And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child and set him by him, and said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name, receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me, receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you, the same shall be great. And John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him because he followeth not with us. This happens too often within our world today. We get it twisted, and we think that the only way God can move is through our church, through our state, through our preacher, through our ministry. So here we see a man who was casting out devils. Apparently not really doing anything wrong. There was nothing brought against him wrong other than he was casting out devils in Jesus' name. And yet here was John saying, well, we forbade him because he wasn't with us. And Jesus, if it was me, I would be in utter disbelief. Like, how are you not getting what I'm trying to tell you? Jesus simply responds to them. He said, forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. You see, we are all called in a relationship with Christ. It is for Christ, about Christ, through Christ, not through me, not through you, not through just simply the UPC. It is for every apostolic, Bible-believing person who declares the name of Jesus because it is all about Christ. We are not competing against other churches for who has the biggest congregation. We are all called to serve the same God. Let me bring this right here to TCOO. Stop worrying that someone else gets picked to run the ministry that you want to run. Stop worrying that someone else got picked as the volunteer of the month and you didn't. This isn't a competition. God's not going to give you a special crown in heaven because you could sing better than someone else. Because you could clean better than somebody else. Because you could teach better than somebody else. This isn't a competition between you and me. This is a war against the enemy for the souls of mankind. 
We have to understand what we are fighting for. The world will always have you think that it's us versus them, that it's black versus white, that it's this country against this country, it's the rich against the poor. And God says, enough. Paul said there is no more male nor female, no more free nor bond, no more slaves, no more rich nor poor. There's only two classes of people. Those who are in Christ and those who are in need of Christ. And it is our responsibility who are in Christ to be reaching for those who are in need of Christ. It is not a competition. I'm going to wrap this all up by reading verses 54 through 56. 54 says, And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou command we fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Now, if you read the verses right before this, what had happened was Jesus sent some of his disciples ahead because he was going to be going to Jerusalem. But first he had to pass through a Samaritan city. And the, the people in that city did not openly and welcomingly receive Jesus. So here the disciples in their righteous indignation come before Jesus and say, Oh, let's call down fire from heaven. Let's burn them all. Let's destroy the city because they did not receive you. But listen to how Jesus replies. Verse 55, but he turned and rebuked them and said, ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. There are times that we look around and become angry with the sin of this world. And we should. We should be angry that sin is abounding and growing ever more wicked. But we must remember that we are not called to be the ones bringing condemnation to the world. But rather we are the ones called to bring the good news of Christ to the world. One of these days God will require the wicked and the just to stand before him and give an account for their lives. One day he will come and bring fire to this earth. But until he does, stop condemning people to hell and start preaching the good news of Christ. We should never want someone else to go to hell. We should never hope that someone else suffers the wrath of God. We should be appalled at the wickedness, but mourn the souls of those who are on their way to hell. Church, I know it seems like I have two competing ideas going on here. Because I first opened by talking about brokenness. I started talking about all of this, and here's why. Because you see, in the new year, in 2022, pastors already laid out what our, our mission is, what our vision is, that it's going to be called, that we are all called. And we're going to hear messages about being called to revival. We're going to hear messages about being called to holiness, called to righteousness. But you cannot be called to any of those things if you are not first called to relationship. And you cannot have a relationship with God carrying around your brokenness and trying to fix it on your own. You see, the reason God loves our brokenness is because it's the moment when we finally say, God, I get it. I can't do it on my own. I've tried. I've tried and I've tried. I've tried drugs and sex and, and, and the things of the world. And I've tried making more money and working extra jobs. But no matter what I do, I still feel empty. I still feel broken. And God is saying, finally, you're ready. You're ready for me to do something miraculous in your life. Because you are not good enough. You are not rich enough. You are not smart enough. And you never will be. 
but God is. That's why the Bible tells us that I can do all things through Christ. Not without Christ, not before I get Christ, not after anything else, but I can only do all things through Christ. Church, I, I, I hope as we begin to close out this new year, I wondered if it would be possible that we could each take a little bit of time for some introspection to look at the things that we've been holding on to, the hurts that we have been harboring in our hearts. We're too proud to show anyone else how that we secretly are hurting inside. And let this be a moment where we say, God, I receive what you're going to do in 2022, but first, I got to lay all this other stuff aside. I got to let go of the brokenness, let go of the hurts, and give it to you so that I can have healing. They're going to play a song. And I'm just asking, if you want to come to the front, great. But this isn't some magical place that only you get miracles here. This is where it takes place. So whether you pray in your chair, whether you come to the front, stand in the aisle, I don't care. I'm just simply asking, will you pray? Will you listen to the call of God that he has on your heart right now? I know there are hurts in this room. I see it on your face. Things that you think you are hiding so well. But God knows. And he is asking you to let it go. So as they begin to play this music, if we can all find a place to pray. Lord, I praise you. I thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. For your mercy, Jesus. Oh, God. I am broken before you, Lord. You see the hurt and the loss.